0: Okay. Hello, everybody. Intro music. I think we did it. I think we got the intro music to work perfectly for the first time in four whole episodes. Uh, thank you for joining us on the so-called Fantasy Expert Fantasy Baseball Podcast. I'm here with uh, Patrick Wallace. Pat, how are you? How are you doing? I'm doing well.
1: Uh, obviously happy to have to be here. I'm happy to be invited. You know. I'm looking forward to it.
0: Yeah. Uh, why don't you give yourself a shout out? Tell tell the fine folks on the uh, air where you can uh, where they can find you You're on Twitter. I'm sure. your shout outs and uh, stuff like that.
1: Uh, yeah. So my Twitter handle is kind of a, a joke, I guess at first, but Wall uh, pwall uh, underscore 1989. Um, for anybody, uh, you know, I'm not totally active with Twitter. A lot of stuff I do with Twitter is uh, through my um work. I work with the North Coast Arkansas National so obviously any, anything involving the Royals or something that you, you want to reach out to me about I, I definitely can can help any of our, our listeners out with that. Um but yeah, um right now just residing in uh Arkansas and if you do need to follow me, uh, it's at P underscore nineteen eighty
0: nine. Okay. Well you know, I'm sure you'll get a few of uh new followers off of this. But uh Pat and I both, you know, write for so called fantasy experts dot com. Can check out our stuff there. We will, uh, we're going to go over some dynasty stuff tonight. I know a lot of people are interested in, you know, those longer leagues. Um, and we'll see how that goes. All right. So, Pat here did our top 10 fantasy, uh, dynasty guides. So, I'll read over the list quick. We're going to talk about this for a little while. I'm sure you guys have already seen it. No surprise, number one, we have Mike Trout, right? Like, huge stretch there, Pat. Uh, Paul Goldschmidt, Jose Altuve, McCutcheon, four, Rizzo, five. No questionable, but, you know, I like it. Uh, Giancarlo Stanton, six, George Springer, seven, five, personal favorite player in the league, Anthony Rendon eight, Nolan Arenado Nolan nine, and Bryce Harper, ten. Uh, all right, so, Patrick, who... I don't know. Who who do you think was the uh, biggest reach of yours putting in the top ten? George Springer, Bryce Harper. What do you think? Uh,
1: I mean, obviously Bryce Harper is the biggest um, question mark of all those guys, I think, just because his inability to stay healthy and we really don't know what exactly he is capable of, um, if he ever does put in a healthy season. I mean, I, I kind of leave him on that list just because it, it's remarkable. You know, he's still – I mean, he's younger than most of all of us um, at, you know, 21 years old. Uh, he obviously has, has a bright future ahead of him if he can just stay on the field. Um, aside from him, though, I mean, I think Altuve and Rizzo, as you mentioned, um, the lack of having a Breu, I think those are all certainly question marks people may have for me. Um, I kind of just – I looked at the numbers. I looked at age. Obviously, in a dynasty that you know age is going to be pretty, pretty vital, you want. Um, as I mentioned in the article – a guy who's at least going to be contributing um, elite-level numbers for at least a good five more years. Um, I think Altuve and Rizzo are definitely capable of that and probably even further than five years. And then I think Springer is just um, – I got a chance to see him when in northwest Arkansas. i, I He, he kind of reminded me of Trout, as I mentioned in my uh, profile about him. I just think he has the next um, potential to be that 40-40 threat.
0: Well, that would be great. I I went to UConn with uh, George Springer, so we're buds from way back. And by buds, I mean I think I saw him in the uh, hallway one.
1: But, <laughs> well, how, how, do at, how do you play at UConn?
0: I obviously, well, we were like – UConn, <laughs> I honestly did not – when I went to college there, I knew we were good at basketball. I had no idea we'd be good at baseball. Uh, but we had Springer and Mike Olt, who's I think on the Rangers now. We had some like pretty, pretty good MLB prospects um, on the team, so we were like in the super regionals of the College World Series, stuff like that. That I just never thought, like, oh, hey, that'd be cool if we won a World a College World Series. Anyway, uh, yeah, I think, I think it's a pretty good list. I think the Abreu thing, we'll get to that a little bit. Um, my first question, and this just goes back to my overwhelming love of Anthony Rendon is uh, I know you're Rendon at eight and Arnado at nine. Uh, If you were starting – actually, you know what? Before I even get to that question, for all of you who may not even know what a dynasty league is, I was just thinking of it. Basically, you draft your 40-man roster, 30-man roster, and you can keep usually two-thirds or more of the players for, like, however long you want, five years, ten years. So it's like you're actually a GM. It's pretty fun. If you're not doing it, you should do it. It's fantastic. All right, so back to my question though: Rendon or Arenado? You're starting a dynasty team. You're sitting there with the eighth pick. Both of them on the
1: board. Who, uh, who
0: are you? Who do you lean towards at uh, the hot corner?
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, right now, you know, given given Rendon's uh, potential knee concerns, I'm probably just leaning towards Arenado because I think I think he has the potential to be that that Beltray Evan Longoria, you know, type guy for a good, you know, 10 more years. Um, obviously the concerning part about Arenado is going to be his lack of speed. And do you want to lock in that first overall pick is not a, you know, a five tool guy. Um, that's where obviously Rendon will offer a little more in speed, but he may offer a little less in power. Plus I think Arenado's, Arenado's durability is probably um, much safer.
0: Yeah. I, uh- I really didn't know about Rendon's whole backstory, Um, But once I ended up with him on, like, a few of my teams last year, I really started reading into it. And the whole, like, how he was the, one of, like, two or three uh, underclassmen to win baseball player of the year in college but just kept getting hurt. Uh, so that really had me worried last year. This knee thing, I'm a little worried about this year um, just because Washington didn't really manage injuries well last year with Bryce Harper, Ryan Zimmerman. I know Denard Span's hurt. I think Worth might have been hurt. Uh, I mean, I know defense doesn't play into it at all, but uh, Rendon's pretty fantastic at that, so I, he's got my eternal love. Um, and you can't understate playing in Coors Field for half your games. So I could definitely, I could definitely see why somebody might go Arenado. Um, was there any one specific? Was it just the speed? Why you put Rendon ahead of Arenado right now, or? Do you think he'll, maybe the better better team, he'll score more runs, he'll, you know, just a are more people on base for him to drive in?
1: Uh, I think, I, honestly, I think the uh, biggest uh, reason for putting Rendon ahead of Arenado would just be it gives you an extra year, um, a guy at second base, you know, for this year, obviously, when we're looking long-term, you know, they're both going to be qualifying yeah. well at third base. Um, so, I mean, the second base for one year, that kind of gives you a little bit of a boost. And mainly it was just, Arenado's biggest concern with me is what if he doesn't become that thirty five you know, thirty five home run guy and he you know, his ceiling is kind of at the twenty five range. Then you're talking, you know, twenty five, three hundred, one hundred um whereas, you know, Rendon could do that and steal fifteen bases. So I I think it was mainly Rendon we've seen we've seen obviously what he's capable of, whereas Arenado is still kind of um we're all assuming he's going to make that next jump eventually.
0: Yeah, I think it's pretty interesting with both of them, too, that uh, having to choose between both of them in a dynasty league this year, simply because, like, last year was their first year, they really they performed this well. Um, I know Renato's been around the, the uh, minor league circuit a little longer than Rendon, but they both are incredibly talented. It's just like, oh, God, they're so... Dynasty leagues are kind of, they get me a little caught, caught off guard. Um, I get iffy on a lot of players. Like I overthink things like, oh, Rendon's knee. It's going to be a five-year problem. Like no, It's probably not going to be a five-year problem. I just get so worked up about stuff. So you got to keep it simple, all you drafters out there. Don't freak out. Um, all right, Honorable man I see you have no pitchers on here.
1: Um, yeah, my I mean, my biggest thing about pitching is, um, obviously, you know, I put in I actually pretty sure I put in Strasburg ahead of Kershaw as like an honorable mention.
0: Yeah, um, yes, you did.
1: It, pitching just has such—it's it, so. I mean, Kershaw—you can't argue with. Probably everyone's list aside of mine, you know, he's I think twenty-six. What two or three Cy Youngs already? He's you know he's going to be on pretty much everybody's list. I just I worry about how many innings a guy like him and Felix Hernandez already have. Um,
0: yeah,
1: and yeah. and obviously limiting injury is it doesn't seem to always work out quite as well for, for pitchers. So um, I think you're just much safer going with a hitter um, that early if we're talking, you know, again, a five-year, ten-year type of league.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. Pitchers pitchers just get hurt so often that I, I can see why you might be hesitant to do that. You have in here that kershaw's has pitched over 1,300 innings. Wow, that's a lot. He's been in the league a lot longer than uh, – I think a lot of people realize, and um, he's just been so good over these last three years that I can see why people would be like, why, why isn't he in this top ten? But I don't know. People don't stay Clayton Kershaw, Sandy Koufax good for like five, eight years. Um, but what did you see in Strasburg that made you want to put him as the top pitcher if, if a pitcher would have made the list?
1: Um, I mean, Strasburg is probably more – it's more instinct. It's more – um, you know, obviously he's still really young. He's already had the, you know, Tommy John surgery. It's, I guess it's the, the hidden when is it going to come, not if it's going to come, it seems like, for all these young pitchers. So, you know, I guess it's naive to say, but he already had it out of the way. So um, in some ways maybe you don't have to worry about it. Obviously that's not true. You know, guys have two Tommy Johns all the time. But um, I guess mainly that was my theory is, Washington's been pretty careful with a guy like Strasburg over the early parts of his career. That maybe this year and the next five years we're talking about him instead of Kershaw as that no doubt number one pick.
0: Yeah, that's definitely true. I think he also, unlike what you said, uh, you you want to win your league this year. Obviously, you don't want to you don't want to be the person in the dynasty league who like drafts all the twenty two year olds and, and and basically saying like in three to five years my team's going to be really good. Um, but you do have to think about that. You can't just build it with people who are really hot right now. You need to you need to get those Strasburgs who are going to be really good down the road.
1: Um, yeah, and I mean, kinds of, are kind of looking at that. It's um, kind of what I was thinking when I made that list. It, it's all up to you know what you're thinking of going into a dynasty league. Are you going to be in the league for 20 years, um, or is it going to be a league that you know or you think will flame out in five to 10 years, or um obviously that's going to go into your thinking as well. If, if you're kinda of entering a dynasty league assuming what well, I'll you know, get a really good team for five years and then um if it's, you know, with strangers that you play on say Fantrack CBS or something like that, and you just, you know, sell it off or something, um obviously that should go into your thinking as well. I'm in one dynasty league right now. I have, you know, some of the Cubs prospects like Alcantara, um, this Matt Olson guy with the Oakland Um, some of those guys, but I've kind of started to gradually go for the win, you know, these next three to four years, Um, maintain some of those young guys, but at the same time realize in three to four years I'll win these next three to four years and then maybe um, it'll be time to give up that league and, you know, start fresh with another dynasty.
0: Yeah, take your pile of cash and your trophies and move on. Well, that seems Uh, like a – it's definitely not a bad way to do it. I just joined two this year, first time ever, first dynasty. Um, And I could see, like, one team I sort of built, it's with, like, seven to 12 people who I have no idea who they are. We just met them on, like, Roto-Wire or something like that. Uh, And I, even subconsciously, I could tell I was drafting the team, like, for more these first two to three years. Because you don't want to be stuck in the league where, where half the people leave and you're like, but I have all these prospects. That's you're just going to get screwed like that.
1: Okay. Right, yeah, and I mean, I, I was in a league last year, um, and that, that's also one of the biggest worries. I mean, if you're playing with buddies, obviously, you know, you know you're know you going to all stay around, but in those leagues where you're not playing with, you know, buddies and it's, you know, kind of a, a public league, um, the biggest problem is, you know, those guys who do chase all these top prospects, you know, they load up on Chris Bryant, Polanco. Um, sorry, I keep on quoting all the Cubs because that's all I- those are the guys I, I, all coming up, but
0: that's all anybody talks about this off season is the Cubs and what they're going to do with with Chris Bryant. Um, I know this is not where you were going with this, but do you, if you had to bet right now, just I I know you have no insider information on this, nothing like that. Do you think they're going to start the season with him, or you think they're going to send him to AAA for whatever thirteen days and then call him up?
1: Uh, I was I was watching MLB tonight actually last night um, and listening to Dan O'Dowd. Obviously, some of the concerns with Bryant are his defense. Um, others being, you know, he's a Scott Boras client. So you yes. definitely don't really want to start the clock early on a guy like that. And, and the the other biggest thing is I think a guy like Baez doesn't quite have um I guess track record or pedigree of a Chris Bryant. I think Bryant is a guy, you know, you want the Cubs want to be their next, you know, Nolan Arenado or Aramis Ramirez back back in the day. Oh man. I think they want I think they want him to be that next uh that next elite third baseman, you know, Miguel Cabrera type. Um, Whereas, I mean, obviously they want Javier Baez to be a a top talent too, but I don't think they want to rush Chris Bryant if, you know, his strikeout rate is still insane or if he can't feel that third. I think they'd much rather kind of season him and make sure he's to that elite status even by next year um, when they truly think they can make that World Series type push. Yeah,
0: I would agree with that. Even... Even beyond the money of just gaining that extra year, to like to just send it to the minors for two weeks to get an extra year, as annoying as it will be in drafting leagues where you can't draft minor leaguers or like there's stipulations on that, it just makes sense. Um, and like what you said with Bias, I really like that actually because they have like three top shortstop prospects. If Bias flames out. They have Russell, and if Russell doesn't work out, they could always put Alcantara there. And they still have cast Castro. So it's not like they uh, are in desperate need of a, a shortstop. Um, but I, I think it will be interesting. It will be really interesting. I have a draft next weekend, like the day before the season starts. And it's going to be really interesting to see what happens with Bryant in that. If he is in the majors, I think he may – I like it's an auction draft. So I may call him out like for the third pick just to see what the hell happens.
1: Um, yeah, and I, I think my biggest worry about a guy like Chris Bryant is obviously – you know, I was hearing in an NLH league auction, he was going for about $22, um, whereas Pedro Alvarez went for 19 The big word with a guy like Brian is, maybe he becomes um, Adrian Pellett, Miguel Cabrera. But what if for the first three years he's Pedro Alvarez? You know, will someone who drafts him in a dynasty league have the patience to wait that out, you know, to wait out the 230 average for three years? Or, or are you going to unload him um, for half the value and then, regret it when you see him become you know Miguel Cabrera
0: yeah that's definitely a tough choice Um, I noticed in my dynasty league the one that I was telling you about before a lot of those random people went heavy on prospects early and this is another thing if you're drafting a dynasty league uh, and people are just going for like youth is really great like if you want to take George Spring in the first round go for it but if people are taking like Gregory Polanco in the first round Maybe take somebody older and just like take advantage of that value. Um, these guys are good; are going to be good for five years. But again, you have no idea how long uh, this league's going to last. And it always is a good idea to just win the first year, and you're like, okay, I'm happy I've won at least one year. Um, but a guy I wanted to talk to you a little bit more about was my friend George Springer. So you have number seven, one behind Giancarlo Stanton. That's high praise. What a I know you saw him in a Mike Trout mold, but what what else? Just you could uh, you know just expand a little bit on that. Like, what's uh, what's your love affair with Springer all about?
1: Yeah, I mean Springer is obviously, and as I um, you know, I received some negative feedback as far as when I wrote a profile about him. Um, obviously, if his speed does not come around, um, he's not gonna you know he's not gonna be the next Mike Trout. He's not and he's not in Stanton's level right now as of um, you know his ability to hit two eighty two seventy. But him, I'm kind of just uh, – in a dynasty league, you know, like you said, you want to get ahead of, you know, the curve. You don't want to – if you just draft everyone based on rankings, you're going to have, you know, you're probably going to have an average team. If you can get ahead of the curve on a couple guys, and I think Springer may be one of those guys. Obviously, he's he's been hyped, um, so I'm not saying, you know, he's going to be some sleeper this year. But if you can maybe reach on him one round early and then say he steals 20 bases this year, uh, the biggest question mark with him is he didn't even attempt to steal last year. It's not like, you know, Billy Hamilton, for instance, he was attempting to steal constantly in the second half. He just kept getting thrown out. Um, a guy like Springer, you know, he didn't even try to steal. If Houston, who obviously, you know, they want to start competing, you know, I think it was Sports Illustrated said they were, you know, the World Series champs in 2017 they were predicting. So yeah. if they want to, you know, reach that next level, a guy like Springer is going to have to be the guy who carries that team. So I mean he he's again he's probably a huge question mark a, a bit of a reach but you know Stanton hit 240 you know 2 years ago so I I definitely think he's capable of, of making that um you know step to the next level
0: Yeah I'm looking at your profile now and uh, it's saying that I think one year he stole 33 bases and the next year he stole 23 so it's not like he can't run. Um, I think people have got a, a impression of him as just a like a swing away slugger, but he definitely he definitely is a much more well rounded player than we saw last year. Uh, and another year of just understanding major league pitching and breaking balls and all that stuff, it's definitely going to help him. He's, he's going to probably play better. And that and the Astros seem a little more uh, desired to win games this year. So he might have a little more help. And he was he was the Chris Bryant of last season. I remember everybody talking about when George Springer was going to get called up. Um, I'm like, Dad, when, when did he get called up? Like in June or something like that? Dad, some people were freaking out on the waiver wire trying to get him. So I don't think it's – I mean, yeah, you left out Jose Abreu, so maybe people would argue there. Um, but I don't think it's too far up a stretch. I would definitely have him in my top 20.
1: Uh, yeah, and I remember uh, Springer is, you know, I remember Harold Reynolds saying they need to send Springer down back at the end of April last year. You know, that was when he had logged about 55 at-bat, had a home run, um, and had struck out 20 times, and was hitting 182. You know, after that, he hit 10 home runs and batted 294 in May. So, um, again, he hit 294 in May. Obviously, May is one month out of six, so I'm not saying he's going to hit 294 this year. I'm just saying... Obviously, he's capable of um, reading pitches. You know, he can make adjustments. He's shown that in the minors. If he can just, the biggest thing for him is I don't think he was making those adjustments in June and July, and then he got hurt and obviously didn't have a chance to really um, improve at the end of the year.
0: Yeah. I mean, he, at different times in the season, it it really did look like he was about to take off um, and just run away with, like, the crown of, like, the best young guy um the best young guy that's not Mike Trout I should say but like I didn't he hit 10 home runs in like just a 20 day span or something he did something ridiculous like that where his power was just off the charts but people also don't I feel like remember that like Mike Trout was not fantastic in his first call up to the majors in 2011 uh I have his numbers here he only batted he was 135 at bats 40 games batted 220 so, five home runs, sixteen RBIs, four steals. Springer's got a lot more yep. seasoning, and if you, and if you sort of think of it it's like, all right, that's just his uh, getting used to the waters of major league. This might be the year he breaks out, and if you wait till next year to try to draft Springer in your dynasty leagues, you may not get him. Somebody's probably not going to let him go, but uh, you could you could get in early on him. So I kind of I kind of like what you're doing there. Um, you're sort of banking on the the step up he's going to take as opposed to valuing him for the step he took already.
1: Yeah. I mean, that's the biggest thing as far as, especially when you're analyzing young guys. I mean, I think that's part of the reason, you know, dynasty leagues and NL or AL only leagues, I think are one of my more favorites because they're so, you you go so deep into the, into the player pool. You have to, you know, take a risk on certain guys. Um, and a guy like Springer, again, I always look at um, your Donald Ventura, obviously, you know, he played with, with our team. But, um, you know, Ventura is, in 2012, he had, had a slight taste of, you know, double A and got destroyed, came back um, in 2013, had, I think, 10 starts with us, and he was lights out. I mean, uh, I think it's it goes a long way to say these guys certainly know how to make an adjustment, and those they're not just taking five months off and coming back in spring training and suddenly thinking they're going to, you know, hit a 99 mile per hour fastball and then adjust to the 74 mile per hour curve. Like they're making adjustments in the off season too. They're watching tape. So, I mean, I think there's definitely a chance he could even improve to 270 this year, in which case if he's, you know, 270, 35 homers and 15 fields, obviously that's, you know, I think he belongs right where he's at.
0: I would, I would definitely agree. Uh, he does not it does not strike me as a player who um is going to take take time off and just like rest on his laurels of being a top prospect or anything like that uh so i i, I like what you're saying there with the the hope the hope that he's going to grow um but i think it is time to touch on the elephant in the room and that is no Jose Abreu uh now to be totally honest and this is going to make me sound really stupid when i say it before the season started i was like oh Jose Abreu It's probably only like 23 or something like that. Um, I think he's 27, maybe 28, 26. I don't know how old he is. I'm going to look it up. But he's older than people would think, and that's, you know, in a dynasty. He's 28. In the dynasty league, stuff like that does, you know, affect it. uh, Besides, you know, maybe the age, what what negative things did you see from Abreu last season that uh, kept him out of the top ten?
1: Yeah, I mean, um, obviously, you know, age is number one. You know, he's 28, whereas a guy like Anthony Rizzo is 27 – or, sorry, 25. Um, my my other biggest thing with with Abreu is mainly looking at a guy like Ioana Cespedes, you know. Um, before Abreu, Cespedes was the big Cuban guy to come over. And and his sophomore year was obviously much different than his, you know, first, first taste of the major league pitching. He, he didn't quite make the adjustments as – as uh quickly as um so i mean that was that was one worry i had was was the cesspitus factor the other one was just the second half numbers you know his power really really dipped and if he's more of the 25 home run type guy he's not going to provide as many stolen bases um obviously his average is going to be there he showed that pretty much all six months but I just don't think a first baseman, if he only is hitting 20 to 25 home runs, really, is a guy that's going to be in that top 10, um, especially when he's already 28.
0: Yeah. I'm looking at his split sets now. I think he hit seven home runs and 34 RBIs after the All-Star break. That's not great um, for somebody who people thought was, like, the best power hitter last season. Uh Side note: Do you want to get your dogs on the podcast? I'm sure our our listeners would love above that if you if they're around.
1: <laughs> no,
0: I think I'm all right.
1: They're outside
0: right now. All right, maybe next time. Um, but I like I don't yeah, know. I mean, I've been kind of split on Jose Abreu this this season. Um, last year a bunch of my teams were really lacking power, so I've been considering you know Cabreras and the Goldschmidt um, and Abreu. Trying to think, all right, where am I going to get that power from? Um, and I don't know. I've always just kind of shied away from Abreu. Maybe because I didn't, I didn't expect him to do what he did last year, and I'm still a little worried about it. I know he had a very like high BABIP, um, batting average on balls in play, if you can understand the abbreviation. I have something just about him. I don't know. And maybe it's because he plays in the White Sox. And I just have associated him with being bad, probably since. 2011, 2010. So I, I don't know. I just think, I think he could be fantastic. I think,
1: they, I think they've been bad almost since every year but 2005. But don't quote me on that. They had a good I 2005
0: though.
1: Yes, they were very good 2005.
0: And I remember <laughs> one year when Alexi Ramirez hit the, that walk-off grand slam and like be to win the division and get into the playoffs. That's the only other thing I have a um, memory of. But he does play in a great hitter's park. And, you know what, 28's not that old. I'm only 20. I'm going to be 25 in, like, three weeks. So if I was saying 28 is old, then I would feel terrible about myself. Um, I don't know. I, I can see why you might have left him out. Uh, for all of the listeners who want him in the top 10, I can see why you would like him there. Maybe instead of Rizzo, because Rizzo just didn't have the RBI total. But uh, it's whatever. Yeah, mean
1: he's sort of fancy. Kind of just, um, since you mentioned Rizzo and Abreu, I've I was kind of cold on both Rizzo and Abreu until I started writing that piece. And then, you know, Rizzo, I looked at his batting average on balls in play, as you kind of mentioned, and the two years where he hit two eighty was right along, you know, league average. And then, you know, when he hit, uh, what was it, two hundred thirty three back in 2013, um, you know, that dipped quite a bit, uh, well below league average. So I kind of just looked at, in, you know, five years, ten years from now, we may look at that 2013 as a total outlier, Obviously I could be completely wrong. But but I definitely like the fact that, you know, his home run, his home runs have improved from, you know, fifteen to twenty three to thirty two. Um, you know, he's also getting extra base hits, fifteen doubles, forty doubles, twenty eight doubles. And as we've mentioned, you know, on on all their prospects, that lineup is obviously improving. Um, you know, Wrigley Field's a huge hitter's park on most days. So I, I kind of I, I just like Rizzo as a guy who can continue to improve. Whereas I think last year's numbers is out of a Abreu, whereas some people think he may take a step forward, I almost think that's his ceiling. Um, obviously, it's early to be predicting that, but and 36 107 not bad ceiling. I just I, I wouldn't be anticipating him you know becoming some 40 45 homerun guy that hits 300. Yeah,
0: I mean he did have an amazing season last year. So if that is his ceiling, that's not a bad ceiling. Like a 32 home run or 20, how many home runs? here? 35, something like that. 36. Over 37, like 109 RBIs, and he batted 318. If that's what he did every year, I'd be very happy with it. But um, yeah, I, I like what you said about Rizzo with his just his talent around him getting better. He had 32 home runs last year and only 78 RBIs, which is ridiculous. Like, how do you hit that many home runs and only drive in 78 people? I don't know. Um, I think that Chicago argument is going to be one that re- rages on for a few years because uh, the White Sox definitely reloaded this year and the Cubs are primed to take off the next two years. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see what happens. Who can uh, improve more? But, you know, there's no preference. Uh, last thing I wanted to ask you about the uh, – rankings here for the dynasty before we move on to some other stuff was uh, you put Altuve ahead of McCutcheon uh, I know McCutcheon is a lot older but was it a tough choice to put because most you know normal rankings have uh, or not normal other people's rankings your rankings are very normal so don't don't let me do uh, talk bad about them but most people usually have it Trout, uh, McCutcheon, Goldschmidt or so, some form of that what a uh, How did your choice go, or how did your decision making play out when you put Altuve at three?
1: I mean, doesn't get doesn't get enough love as it is? I I just wanted to be a little different. (laughs) Um, Hey, that's definitely a reason. I I like Altuve. I just I look at outfield; it's so deep. And and I you know don't get me wrong, McCutcheon is probably my favorite player. I had him probably his first three years um, coming up with with the Pirates, so. So I have nothing against McCutcheon. You know, I think he's a solid player. He's obviously uh, generally a pretty much a lock for 2020 and you know 300. I, I just the second base aspect is obviously huge. Um, you know, Altuve is a little younger, and and my biggest thing was everyone keeps on saying you know Altuve is not going to repeat or there's no way he can repeat. Obviously, no, he's not going to hit you know 340, 350, whatever he hit last year. Um, but say he you know say he hits 320. A lot of people put Cano um, at the top of that second base list just because of what he's done. Well, Cano's a 20, you know, 2015 type of guy in his prime, maybe I guess 3015 in his prime. And, you know, no one had any, had any worries about putting him number one. I just, I think 50, 45, you know, 45 to 50 stone bases out of your second baseman um, along with a 315 average. And I think his counting stats are obviously going to go up as well. Um, given that, you know, another year of Springer, um, that lineup has improved with Gaddis coming in, uh, Rasmus and Marisnyk, if they can kind of form a decent platoon out there, and then also with, you know, Singleton, obviously that lineup's improving behind him to, you know, keep those runs scored going up. And then, again, he's a, he's a second baseman who can hit, you know, 8 to 12 home runs. So, yeah, obviously, him, I'm maybe a little bit of a reach, you know, I may be projecting a little high on but if he can give me, you know, 10, 10 home runs and forty five stolen bases, and maintain, you know, the three fifteen average, I don't. I think he can, quite frankly, be almost as valuable as Trout if Trout doesn't start stealing more bases. But that's a that's an argument for a whole nother time.
0: Yeah, and you know what? There's there's nothing wrong with wanting to have your second base locked up for five to ten years because that that position fluctuates so much. Like I feel some years there's like a ton of players everyone's high on and then other years it's Cano now all too And then that's it. So position scarcity is something to, uh, definitely consider. So, and you know what, at the top of like one through five are probably all so close together that you're really not going to get a huge difference in, uh, value after trout. So I think it's, yeah, I mean, uh, obviously oh,
1: go going by, you know, rankings, they, you know, obviously I have my top 10, um, if you have that second pick, you know there's no. You, you, if you're drafting, you know David Wright or something, you got a problem. But there's no reason you shouldn't feel comfortable drafting any of those guys, because obviously, you know you're probably not going to get them on that that turnaround pick. And if it's a dynasty league, why wouldn't you make your first overall pick someone you want? So I mean, mainly going into those rankings, it's you know I won Altuve. I wouldn't for 10 more years. I won Altuve, not not that I mean that's, I guess, a short answer to that.
0: Yeah, and it's, it's how you build out the rest of your team. These guys aren't playing one on one, so it's not. You could have Trout. You could draft the rest of your team pretty terribly, and you're going to be screwed. Or you could take Altuve three and draft the rest of your team perfectly, and you could uh, you could definitely win that that league with Altuve as your anchor. Uh, which leads me into what I wanted to ask you about next is uh, you for the for the site so called fantasyexperts.com, dot com. Patrick here wrote about some draft strategies. Um we did a little bit of it last week. You weren't on the podcast obviously but we talked about drafting. Uh, you have five, one, two, three, four. You have four. Which uh traditional, closer heavy, punt saves? Maybe it's only three. Am I missing one? Yeah, only three. Alright. Uh, which which strategy do you tend to go with uh on draft day more than uh, the others? Are you are you punted saves or are you trying to keep it balanced?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think the biggest thing for for, for a strategy is you know it depends how deep your league's going to be, um, and, and that will pretty much depend on where I go with my strategy. I think I think one of the strategies was the you know punting wins and strikeouts, which I completely disagree with. Uh, my dad likes to uh, actually employ that strategy, and I I think it's worthless. But you know <laughs> if if you like that strategy and you can you can win with it, obviously you know go for it. Um, I personally either punt saves. Uh, generally in an NL-only league, that's where I'm going to punt saves. Um, you know, there's just so many guys. You know, right now you got Addison Reed. Who knows? Um, with his health issues and the fact that he can't keep the ball inside the ballpark half the time. Um, but I mean, <laughs> there. You know, Santiago Casilla. There's. You know, even two years ago, it was was Cichic really going to be the Marlins' closer? Or could it be AJ Ramos? There's so many guys out there that you could you could find a guy who could get you even 20 saves in April, and if one other guy, you know, punch saves with you, that's a point, whereas, you know, the hitters out there is just so shallow right now. I didn't employ the strategy in one league, and I'm stuck with Luis Sardinas as my second baseman right now. So, in an NL only league, or even A AL only, I I tend to punch saves just because I think, you know, the player pulls a lot deeper, or a lot, a lot shallower, I mean. Um, So, you're obviously drafting a lot deeper, and Saves are probably the easiest, not easiest, but most volatile and um easiest thing you could potentially just run into whereas you're generally in an and only league not gonna run into an outfielder that gets five hundred at bats unless it's maybe like an a j pollock this year um i mean a j Pollock in years past, and some other guy like that this year um who's gonna actually produce for you and be in your lineup
0: yeah uh, it's it is very hard to find uh somebody on the waiver wire is going to hit 15 to 20 home runs and give you 75 RBIs when you're, you know, your fourth outfielder doesn't work out. You really can't fill that in totally with somebody you rarely find. Agent Pops uh, is a nice
1: example. And as far as, uh, I mean, I guess in in a mixed league, balance is really to me the best strategy just because there's, uh, it depends obviously how deep that mixed league is, if it's a 20 team mixed league. Um, you know, obviously your strategy is going to be pretty similar to whatever you would employ in, you know, NL only or AL only leagues. Um, but if you know it's a 12-team or a 10-team type, mix, type mixed league, you know, I have guys like Martin Prado and Marlon Burr, those type of guys are free agents in my league. So I had Hunter Pence, you know, I drafted him early um, before that injury. You know, he went down and even a guy like that is not not that terribly hard to replace. Whereas you know, a guy like Chapman actually would be pretty hard to replace because there's not many closers just on the free agent list. You know, you're not going to find a Steve Sischik on the on the free agent list like you will, you know, a, a product who will give you 10-10 and 60-60 type counting stats.
0: Yeah. Um, I've been burned a lot of times by trying to just pick up those bottom level closers. Uh, Chad Qualls comes to mind. Uh I actually had one year somebody offered me in a league this is gonna sound terrible. They offered me Clayton Kershaw for Chad Qualls straight up. This is before Kershaw really took off. And I said no. I said, No, I need the saves of keeping Chad Qualls and I turned down Clayton Kershaw. And it is I mean it wasn't a keeper league or anything like that, but it just it's so dumb now in retrospect. I feel so stupid about it. But my point I is can... uh I try to I try to get at least one top like top five closer and then try to fill out the bottom with like sort of what you said, like a guy who may it was like a pretty solid hold, but if he loses it, if there's other people on the waiver wire to pick up. I just want one sort of rock in my bullpen. But uh what were you gonna say?
1: Yeah, I mean um kinda like well I, I was first gonna say, you know, you you, you are upset about Clayton Kershaw for Chad Qualls. Try turning down uh Jose Fernandez for Brandon League in a keeper league. Uh oh Cause well, I,
0: cause that's I did bad. that Again, <laughs> that is That is bad. Um, So,
1: so yeah, I I know how you feel in that regard. Uh, As far as, um, you know, closers, my biggest problem with closers is I've just – I've never been willing to pay up for, you know, the Kimbrels or the Chapmans. So it's one of those, you know, do I want to take a risk on uh, Rodney, Rosenthal, you know, those type of guys. And the reason I say risk is um, if I'm in an NL only league, and depending on how deep it is, Jordan Walden would be, you know, one of – one of those last type of round type guys I'd be looking at because, you know, he has the closing experience from LA and, you know, they had they had problems with Rosenthal last year in the playoffs and even in the regular season. So again, a guy like Rosenthal, some people may think is a pretty safe bet, you know, for 80 strikeouts and 30 saves. Whereas even a guy like that could lose his job by the end of April.
0: Yeah. Uh, the two things I've come to know about baseball is that spring training? A bunch of pitchers you're really going to like are going to get Tommy John surgery, and it's going to suck. <laughs> and then during the season, some of those, not the elite, elite closers, usually don't get blown up and like fall apart. But that like sort of second to third tier guys, like the Trevor uh Rafael Soriano at the end of last year, some of those guys who you wouldn't think who you'd think going in are pretty safe are going to get blown up, and they're just going to fall out, like uh, Sergio Ramo, or Romo. He was fantastic two, three years ago. Last year, sort of just dropped right off the map. So I try to, uh, I find that to be a little too volatile for my taste. So I go top and I go bottom and try to avoid the whole middle section that half the people are going to get blown up and half of them are not. Uh,
1: yeah, yeah. And the funny thing about that is, you know, you, you mentioned, you know, going for the bottom. A guy like Troy Hawkins seems to be on, like, everyone's I don't want him list. Whereas, a guy like, you know, Rosenthal is still being drafted earlier, Rodney or Sitchik or even Casilla, And who's going to take – I mean, obviously we say this every year and then he loses his job by, you know, I think it was Marmol two years ago lost his job by opening day. Um, but, I mean, really they've tried Rex Brothers. Um, I think they tried Adovino maybe for a couple of games last year. But outside of Adovino, I don't really see anyone taking Hawkins's job. Whereas, I mean, yes, he pitches in Coors Field, but – you're probably, he's probably one of the last closers being taken and you can get him a whole lot later than a guy like, you know, Fernando Rodney and he could easily give you the same stat.
0: Yeah. His ERA last year is 3.31. Um, which doesn't sound bad, but I mean, it's a little high for a closer. He had 23 saves. His fifth was 3.9, 3.39. So he pitched pretty well. Um, And even if you do already have your closers, I never think it's a bad idea to... If you see LaTroy Hawkins still sitting in the 20th round, it's it's not a bad idea just to grab him, pick up a few extra saves, and then you could always flip him or something. Uh, People just... It's because he's old. I think it's just because he's old. Nobody wants LaTroy Hawkins. And uh, I remember last year, everybody just, like, sat waiting for him to lose his job. Um, A lot of people, I feel like, were waiting for Houston Street to lose his job last year, too, and he dominated so you never know. These guys could totally, totally, like, just for one year, regain that peak form, and, you know, you only have to pitch 60 innings, so it's not too hard to find that form.
1: Yeah, uh, I remember going going way back in, like, the time machine. I took – and this was back when they were good. I probably spent a couple early-round picks on them in an only league. I took Kevin Cobb or Colbert, however it was with the Brewers, and uh Armando Benitez, and they oh. both lost their job by by the end of April. So, was, I mean, I've never had much luck with closers either, so kind of like what you said, if you can't get the, you know, the Kimbrel or the Chapman, I mean, there's really no reason to spend that high of a pick on a closer when you could get, you know, a Hawkins or even a Joe Nathan, who kind of like you said with Hawkins last year, they kept waiting to – he should have lost his job, but – um you know, again, they're going into 2015. He's still their closer.
0: Yeah, just because the vultures are circling, like it doesn't mean he's going to lose his job. Um, I, again, I cannot believe how well Houston Street pitched last year. But who knows? Maybe this is the year he blows up. Now that everybody thinks he's uh, reliable, I don't know. Yeah,
1: Houston Street. I mean, like you I mean that's a great example because Houston Street is probably you know. Outside of the big strikeout guys, you know, he's being drafted right now because he's out a month ahead of Kenley Jansen and those type of guys. And, again, he does strike guys out. So if he, even if it's not his fault, but if he just starts getting unlucky, you know, um, and balls just drop that last year were caught, you know, his ERA goes from, I think it was in the ones actually last year. Yeah, That goes in the four. I mean, Anaheim isn't going to be, Patient, I can't imagine if he has a rough April. Not, yeah. not to say he will. It's just, you know, yeah. a, a contending team like that, they they have to win. So,
0: Yeah, they definitely want to keep, especially with Mike Trout. Like, you don't know how long you're going to have, well, they have him for what, six years. But you you don't know how many times you're going to be in position to make the playoffs. You have the best play in the league. You like, they're not going to waste these opportunities. Um, but then again, hey, Houston Street, I go out and dominate again. Like he did when he was on the Athletics or something like that. Who knows? Um, all right, last draft question for you. When you're doing these strategies, uh, I ask everybody this: How early are you taking pitchers? Are you wait till the end, like fourth, fifth round, or you take them back into the first round? When's your uh, what's your what's your thought on that?
1: Yeah, I mean a pitcher again to me, pitchers. A, a hitter, you can go into a draft say at this round, I'm taking this guy. Because, you know, there's so many. Not, yeah, and that's a bad word. But, um, you know, there's a lot of elite hitters out there, just like there are pitchers. But a pitcher, you know, if no one's taking Kershaw in that first round and you don't necessarily want Kershaw or Felix, you don't want to pay that high. Obviously, you're not going to pay that high for a Bumgarner or a Strasburg. But that means you can then wait, you know, another round or two on those type of guys. So, I mean, I think a pitcher is a lot more draft dependent on how your draft is going. If, if you've been drafting with those guys a lot, knowing what type of strategies they generally use as far as when you need to reach on a pitcher. Because um, I, I know a lot of people say, you know, I, I'm not going to draft a pitcher until the 10th round. It's like, um, you know, if Scherzer's there in the fourth round, I'm taking him. You know, I'm not yeah. I'm not going to just go in blindly and say, I'm not going to take a guy until the 10th round. Because even then, you know, if if the league is pitcher-heavy, a guy like Garrett Cole, Alex Cobb, obviously before his injury. Um, same with Zach Wheeler, Marcus, Str- all those guys. You know that list goes on and on about injuries, but right? even it those guys. Happens. What?
0: I was just gonna say it all happens. Like it's, it's like the domino effect. Once one person, <laughs> like once one pitcher hears the word like uh, Tommy John surgery, they like their elbow snaps and then the next guy's elbow snaps. It's, it's sort of like when when they don't talk to the pitcher who's throwing the perfect game. Like, you don't say Tommy Johnson because they like six guys in a row just blow out their elbows. <laughs>
1: yeah, and the funny thing about that is I kind of was talking to our, uh, um, our radio broadcaster about that. Is It's funny how it's always in March. There, yeah. To me, there has to be some sort of link to, you know, what is Bumgarner? What is Scherzer? What is um, Harvey and Jose Fernandez aren't good examples. Uh, Wainwright even now, I mean, obviously back in the day he had it. But what are those guys doing from, you know, November to February that these guys aren't doing? Because, you know, last year it was Medlin, it was Beachy, it was Corbin, it was Fernandez a little bit into the season. And then this year it's Wheeler, Darvish. It, it, there's got to be some link to, you know, what are these pitchers doing in the off season, or not doing that these elite pitchers who aren't, you know, undergoing this surgery, what are they doing?
0: Yeah, I feel like a lot of people um have been trying to figure it out, but I don't I don't feel like I've ever seen someone just be like, "Hey, Max Scherzer, you haven't had Tommy John surgery. I don't know if he's ever had it. If he did, maybe way early in his career. But like you've been you've pitched hundreds of innings over the last 5 years. Like what do you do every day in the off season?" Like I don't think people ask that. Uh maybe he doesn't want to share that cuz it's like, "Oh, this is my secret training regimen." That's cool, but I see tons of stats like, or tons of stories like, why are pitchers tearing their elbows in March? It's like, Just ask somebody. I feel like they should just ask somebody. Just be like, hey, uh, Kershaw, what are you doing? Why is your elbow not blowing up? And who knows? Who knows what answers those can come up with? Um, but
1: yeah, yeah and, I mean, everybody wants to talk about, you know, inning limits and, and, you know, the strain on their elbows in high school and all that. Guys like Kershaw, like you said, I mean, you mentioned Kershaw. Guys like Kershaw, King Felix, sure. I mean, these guys are pitching a ton of innings in high school. It's not like this travel ball suddenly started. So yeah, yeah. I, mean, it, I, I think a lot of people want to, you know, talk to the experts and, um, you know, they need to reduce their innings and all this stuff, and they they ignore the the question they should be asking, which is just talk to the people who aren't getting hurt. You know, Every. I mean, obviously, not everybody's body is built the same way but there's got to be some sort of link.
0: Yeah. It's so weird. It's so weird. I don't know if it had, I don't even have an answer for it. It's just so weird, but we got about nine minutes left, eight and a half. Um, one thing I did want to get to before, I think we got to to sort of sidetracked with the closers and the drafting and all that stuff. Um, with the dynasty things, people tend to go for the young guys who I saw you wrote something about Mookie Betts and Rusty Castillo. Um, I panic drafted Rusney Castillo in one league, so why don't you tell me how bad of a pick that was, right now? <laughs>
1: um, I I can't say that in total honesty because I have Rusney Castillo in about three keeper leagues. Um, right. I don't. It's... I have no issue with Castillo or bets. My main issue is with that outfield, how aged it is and how much Boston is going to want to play, you know, Craig and Victorino. Even if it's just to shop them, they're still going to play them for those first two months, three months. So I don't have an issue with their talent as much as just their overall potential for playing time early on. And yeah. I think if they're sharing at-bats, um, people will find, especially a guy like Castillo and Betts, they're both kind of unknowns. Um, I think people will start to find that guys like Prada, who are still on free agency, And if it's a fairly shallow league, um, guys like that are going to actually be much more valuable at least the first couple months. Um, And, and, I mean, obviously you can't cut a guy like Castillo if you spent, you know, a top ten round pick on him, which is generally what it's going to take for those type of guys. Yeah. Um,
0: I just was sort of drawn to it like this. And then, again, he's from Cuba, so I have no idea. I've never seen him play. People just said he could be like a twenty twenty guy, and that's pretty alluring um at the point in the draft I was at, I only had one speed guy, that I could use some more, so I took him um I personally am a bigger fan of movie bets uh I just think he played so well last year, like Castillo he sort of got some of that seasoning we were talking about before the springer, like he got a taste of it um uh, but boot but bet's actually I don't want to say dominated, but he played really really well um uh, I think with his multiple positionality, I think he'll probably get some more bets early. So I tend to lean more Mookie bets. Uh I'm on his side of the coin. But what a what do you think with that? You think he do you think it's sort of like one of those things where talent just finds a way into the lineup that they'll just sort of fit him in wherever they can?
1: No, yeah, I think that's a great point as far as um, you know, her his versatility because yeah, he's gonna a guy like Betts is gonna make um He's going to make them play him, I think. Is it still John Farrell uh, managing them? Um, uh Yes, I but, believe so. I mean, he's going to make a guy like that. He's going, to, he's going to make him put him in the lineup. Whereas a guy like Castillo, he's kind of limited. So if, if Betts can at least get into the lineup in April, show that he can, you know, perform, they're not going to be able to keep him out of the lineup. Whereas a guy like Castillo may not even get that shot. So, I mean, I think that is a great point um, as far as Betts goes because, yeah, if he if he can find his way into into a couple games at short, a couple games at, at second to give uh give Pedroya some rest and even you know, even if he can play a couple at third, you know that's again I say a couple, that's six games right there in April, and that's not even counting all the games he will still play some, you know, in the outfield. So
0: Yeah, I I think that I like what you said with the Pedroia. uh Pedroya. Um Pedroia's getting sort of up there in age. I sort of get the feeling Well, the Red Sox obviously think this is a year they can win it all. So um, I'm sure they're going to – they're really looking to not wear down Pedroia early on in the season. Um, So I'm I'm thinking maybe they – sort of like what the Spurs do now in the NBA where they rest their guys more than you would normally think they would. But they're trying to keep them um, fresh for later in the year. So maybe Betts is filling in every – like, fourth game or on back-to-back, like, a day game after a night game. I think he definitely has uh, a lot more, not a lot more value and talent-wise, but just, I just think he's going to get in more. Um, and Castillo didn't blow, he didn't blow me away, and he didn't blow anybody else, really, away with that, like, two-month uh, call-up he had last year. Like, if uh, he tore the world apart, like Abreu did when he first, or like, Jose Abreu, or, yeah, Jose Abreu. When he first came up, like, then maybe it's a harder choice, but I don't. I think Castillo just needs a little more time to uh, find out what how we, his role is and how he fits into Major League Baseball.
1: Yeah, and the issue with Castillo is also, you know, him battling that oblique injury is going to limit, limit his. It already has obviously limited his spring at bat, so he's you know, he's already behind the eight ball on that. And um, that competition with Bets and Victorino. So, I mean, again, yeah, that's definitely another plus for for Bets if you're. You know, on drafting, trying to decide which one of those two you want to draft.
0: The Red Sox just had to make it difficult for us. They have to. They had to sign Hanley Ramirez to play in the left field. They had to sign Pablo Sandoval and play in the third. They have to have. They signed Castillo. They have bets. like all these guys, and even Brock Holt, who played really well last year. He wasn't. He's, I think he's playing over his head, but he's probably never going to get in now. Um, too bad for him. Yeah. it's it, –
1: it, it's funny you mentioned, sorry, I know we got to um, run out of time, but you mentioned, you know, uh, MLB teams making it difficult. How about the Dodgers who just don't? The Dodgers seem to be that amateur auction draft, um, uh, auction nominee, maybe. I, I don't know what the word I'm looking for is. But that amateur and auction draft where they're, yeah. they think they're just bidding up teams because they don't want the other team to have the, any players. And then in reality, all they're doing is just, again, where is – Oliveira going to play now you know they already okay. don't know where Guerrero is going to play
0: yeah I heard they have some weird provision in his contract where once they call them up for a certain amount of time they can't send them back down or they have to cut them or something
1: um, uh, Guerrero has an out clause yeah he has to be on the major league roster he's yeah he said he's going to leave like and he's really good
0: uh I remember everyone thought he was going to win the uh, second base job last year, and then D Gordon came out of nowhere, and then they tried to get rid of D Gordon, and they did. But then they signed Howie Kendrick. Um, well, you got all these guys, you got to play them. They had to clear out the outfield for Jock Peterson. Uh, I don't know. It's just like I think they just their eyes are bigger than their stomach at sometimes.
1: Um, yeah, and, that, and they give Alavera, you know, sixty million dollars where was that $60 million when you had Brandon McCarthy right now as your fifth starter and a guy like Shields has been out there for, you know, three months. I mean, obviously you're, ideally you're looking, you know, for the younger talent, but again, Olivera is a complete unproven and he's 30 years old. So yeah, I just, I didn't understand that signing really for the Dodgers at all.
0: After watching the Yankees do it for so many years, uh, I feel like it's one of those things where you, you know, when you go to the mall or something you spend like $300 and then there's one last thing you want, but you're like, oh, I'm going to be fiscally responsible now. I'm not going to buy that. I
1: think
0: that's that's what a lot of people do. They're like, all right, we're going to spend all this money on the offense. It's like, oh, we could get a really expensive pitcher like Shield. This is where I will draw the line after spending $80 million. I'm not going to spend $100 million. So I don't know. Teams do that all the time. I don't get it. But um, Patrick, it's been great having you on. Uh, We should definitely do this again. Talk about some more of this stuff as the season goes on, how – I hope George Springer blows up. I would love to talk about him again. The UConn alum that I am, will always, I will always have a place in his, uh, my heart for him. Not Mike O. He does not have a place in my heart because he is not very good yet, and I drafted him last year, and that didn't work out. But um, yeah, Pat. Anything else you want to pitch while you're here? Any new stories going up soon? Anything like that?
1: Uh, I'm I'm probably working on something uh, this weekend. Um, but yeah, I mean, thanks for having me. Obviously. Uh, if anybody has any questions or you know they want to rant to me as to my dissing on Jose Abreu, obviously they can email me at you know P. Wallace at you know, so-called fantasyexperts.com. Um, but yeah, hopefully guys like Springer and Altuve, um, we're hoping for big years out of out of the Houston Astros, or or it could be yes. uh, I could be wearing that uh, turkey jive turkey or whatever that's, that NFL <laughs> Network does.
0: Yes, yes, you could. But, uh, Pat, again, thanks for uh, calling in. Listeners, thanks for listening. We'll see you next week on the so-called Fantasy Experts podcast.